Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the PowerCast. So this week I have David Kellum with me. Uh, David has had a very successful business for the last 10 years called CoreMind and he's grown that to seven figures. And so today we're going to be talking about how to automate your business, how to create systems and grow team and really scale your business to seven figures and beyond. Uh, he's got an amazing story and a great journey to really be able to share with you guys today and I'm sure some great lessons and tips for anyone at any stage of your business so really excited to chat with David today thanks for jumping on David thank you Ellie excited to be here yeah so can you tell us first a little bit about how you got into business is it the 10 years that you've been in business or um, like where did you actually start sure um I actually got started a bit before that and and to me now looking back I sort of don't call that being in business yeah um, if I go if I go back to like Rob Kiyosaki on the cash flow quadrant one of the things that really stuck with me was that ESBI yeah. um, with the S being like legally a business but mm. not structurally a business and, and I realized fairly early on that that's what I had created in the first five years of doing solo work mm. uh, so when I created core mind in 2008 I was very much trying to make it in the B quadrant yeah. not the S quadrant um, yeah. took me a good eight years to <laughs> actually <laughs> learn that lesson but um, that, that's what I was trying to do uh, yeah. so in that sense I say I've been in business since 2008 but been you know working for myself for 10 years longer than that as well okay okay and what got you started I think, I, I don't know about others, but for me, it was the kind of, ah, I can do that better. Mm, um, it yeah. was re and that's really that S quadrant mindset as well. It's yes. like, oh, I'm a better technician. Yes. Uh, and that, that was definitely my starting point. And so I started on technical work, got more involved in more technical work. And it really took me quite some time, which was predominantly a mindset shift mm. um, to, to really start owning that kind of, B role, which if yeah. I'm honest with myself, I've, I've only done for the last two or three years. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I had all sorts of stuff ups in the, in the transition from <laughs> highly competent, you know, frankly, you know, micromanager is the bad way of looking at it. Mm. Um, but in, involved manager, where you are the expert, you are the sort of task delegator. Yeah. To someone who is trying to set up systems to enable other people to succeed. And oh, that was just mentally very tough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I can really relate with what you said about I can do this better. Uh, with my first business, it was mum's boot camps with babysitting included. And I saw <laughs> I'd not only gone through that journey myself, I lost 29 kilos in seven months after having my daughter, but all of the boot camps in Brisbane at the time, in where I lived, uh, had they were pushing their babies in the prams. There were no boot camps where the kids were actually looked after and the mums could have an hour to themselves to breathe. So it was like, well, yeah. it's this problem, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Can, can you tell a bit about what your business actually um, does? Because I don't, I don't think people would know what, what your business is. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's interesting and a little bit complicated, so hopefully you can bear with me. But it's, it's part of the big lesson, I think, for me, because when I started out, I had this vision of taking what big businesses do from a systems 
and processes perspective and mm. applying them to small business. Mm. Uh, what we ended up doing in, in large part because we didn't have an ideal avatar and we'd just work for anybody and everybody is we, we swayed quite considerably from that vision into mm. just being, frankly, a, a business that was doing very S-like work. Mm. Uh, so when, when I got to sort of seven figures and around, around that level, yeah. it, it just started collapsing in on itself because mm. uh, it wasn't a business. It was actually, at minimum, it was three businesses mm. doing three very different things. And so simultaneously running three $300,000 businesses is much harder than one $1 million business. And yeah. that's essentially what I was doing. So the three different areas, which originally I thought was not like a stroke of genius, but a good idea, <laughs> uh, were IT infrastructure management, your typical yeah. managed services outsourced IT department stuff, uh, custom software development and strategic IT consulting. And mm -hmm. my thought was, you know, particularly as the kind of competent technician or professional, um, combining all those things, it's, oh, you know, it's going to be great. We're a one-stop shop. We're so much better because of that integration benefit. Yeah. Uh, but it took me years to realise that that was just not scalable. Yeah. And when I really started to unpick what was going on, it's like, uh <laughs> that's kind of the problem. And mm. I couldn't just blow those sections of the business up uh, because I needed the revenue. I had, I had overheads related to that as well. Yeah. Um, so that's what, that's what I was trying to do. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I've actually come sort of full circle and I, I've split the business up. Mm. CoreMind is continuing but being rebranded and, and that's going to focus just on the high-quality, high-touch, outsourced IT support part of things and automate your business, which is my new business, mm. uh, is focusing on the strategic IT side but with a, with a real focus on automation. Yeah. And both of those have defined, you know, avatars, positioning, all, all of that kind of internet marketing stuff I'm sure yeah, <laughs> you've yeah. talked about before. Uh, so I kind of looked at it and said, I, I have to create something that's marketable yeah. Uh, sort of step one, because these businesses need to scale to run well, uh, to you know provide the freedom that I want, and and provide a pathway for staff. Yeah, um, that's that's something I didn't appreciate when I started. I I sort of thought um, I don't want to get too big, you know, because I, I like being small and intimate and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, but if you don't if you don't give your staff somewhere to go, they will move on. Uh, and so I talk a lot about, um, and I've written a book in part about this, uh, the difference between A players and B players. And yeah. I've experienced both. And I, I have had quite some success at attracting A players over the mm -hmm. years. Um, and in fact, that's kind of who I'm selling that half of the business to, is one of my A players and former 2IC. Yeah. Uh, but I've ended up with a lot of B players as well. Mm. And when that has happened, yeah, that's when the business has gone to shit. Okay. <laughs> Short version. I'm, I'm interested to know a couple of things, actually. So, first of all, how did you know that it wasn't scalable and what did you do to, to change that? Uh, obviously, you, you split it up, like you said, but was there anything else? That's, that's the ultimate one now. And that's, that's actually more for kind of mega scale. Um, mm. Operationally, yeah. the business has been quite successful for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I've been spending an average of maybe five hours, 10 hours a week 
managing it. Yeah. Um, we, but that was all operational systems and processes mm. uh, and ma management and exception reports and all sorts of things I can go into detail on if people are interested. Mm. Uh, but it, it was still struggling to, to have an identity that was marketable. So yeah. from, from a kind of sales perspective and particularly, this, this is really the big one, like I was getting leads, I was, I was making sales, but when, when I looked at the economics of those deals, they weren't sufficiently profitable okay. to scale. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and that, that, in my view, was a lack of positioning in yeah. what essentially is a highly competitive market. And I know a lot of your listeners will be in highly competitive yeah. market performing mm -hmm. services. Um, and I see this all the time. Like I see people post on Facebook groups. It's like something along the line of I'm a VA. How do I get work? I'm like, oh, God, you know, you're doomed. Um, <laughs> You just, you just have to have some kind of unique positioning, even if yes. the service you offer, frankly, isn't unique. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you, you've got to be able to do that in order to create the margin. Uh, yeah. And it's not just the margin in price, it's mm. also the margin in operation. So this is something I learned uh, early on as well, mm. um, particularly around the sales process. When, when I, I, I tried to make a big, what I call an outbound push uh, before I learned about marketing funnels and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the cost of that process was just so expensive. Mm. I lost $380,000 wow. over a 20 month period. Yeah. Uh, full of what someone later described to me as hopium, um, <laughs> which was <laughs> uh, very, very true. Uh, yeah. And I thought I was doing all the right things with um, monitoring, you know, sales pipelines and all mm. of that kind of stuff. But it, mm. it just, it didn't work uh, yeah. at the end of the day. And some of the deals we did get through um, weren't particularly profitable. I turned a lot away because I'm like, yeah, we can sell them, but we can't deliver on that profitably. Yeah. Because um, we, we didn't have that positioning. Uh, but also when you then throw in, all right, that profitability now needs to include my kind of 20% sales and marketing cost. Mm. It's like, well, where the hell is that coming from? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, you're already in a competitive industry where you're also performing services on an hourly basis, which I know everyone is sort of told not to do. Mm. But in, in, depending what your business is, you often have to do it. Yeah. Uh, particularly if, if you're in that S sort of quadrant or that smaller sort of business where you don't want to turn work away or you haven't put that work into developing your own unique process, yeah. um, you, you need to do, or, or it's complex. So IT is complex. It's not necessarily a good idea to fix price things <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for risk-based reasons. Yeah. Uh, so, so we were in that sort of boat. So we we're already pegged on hourly rates uh, mm. and then we had to sort of find 20% for sales and marketing expense as well. Mm. Uh, and so I was sitting here as I call myself an armchair economist because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I probably do far more financial modeling and, and so on than is good for me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was very much looking at, and I knew early on how to create a B from a financial and organizational perspective. Mm. Um, but I didn't know until recently how to do it from a marketing perspective. Yeah. And I particularly didn't appreciate how all of those tie together because, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's quite simple in a way. Once, once you've got your 
you know, ideal avatar and ideally some kind of process that, you know, some kind of IP that you take people through. But even yeah. without it, you'll be solving similar problems for similar people in mm. similar ways. Now, whether mm. you call that IP or a unique process or not, it is. That yeah. is intellectual property in your business. Yeah. And so once I started systematizing this business, that's when I realized that that positioning was a major problem for operations because we had so many ifs and buts and, you know, three versions of several procedures because depends if it's this type of client or this type of client. Yeah. And so it took, it took me two years to write out the procedures. Mm. Uh, it was just madness. And I still haven't even done them all. Yeah. Because uh, it's just, it's also not worth it. Um, yeah. Because if, you, if you're making an investment in your business, of, of time or money or whatever it is you, you you need that investment obviously to pay back but if that investment is in only like one third of your business mm. say systematizing one third of it well suddenly you've only got a third of the benefit or you've got three times the cost to achieve it yeah yeah <laughs> um, well i think and i yeah. think there's some great lessons there in, in simplifying um obviously getting really clear on your your unique position and who your your ideal client is and and mm. knowing your numbers as well i think i see a lot of people jumping into something just winging it having no ideas what their numbers are what their profit is and um then you can easily lose money, not be making enough profit or worst case scenario, going bankrupt or, or going out of business. So I think it's great how you kind of changed along the way to be able to make more profit and make things more simple for yourself and your team as well. I, I love that you talk about the numbers there because I mean, I think one of the first things I did was create what I called the, the core mind economic model. Mm. in like 2008 because um, I had done this for another business that I worked for Yeah, uh, where I was really and this was all before I kind of knew not to really use hourly rates but um, <laughs> I don't think most services businesses even some doing millions of dollars but certainly most six-figure services based businesses don't realize what an hour of productive output costs them yeah. And it's a, it's especially dangerous when it's the business owner doing those services themselves. Yeah. Because they hide they hide costs like sick leave yeah. and holiday leave and um you know retirement savings and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. and some people know that and their accountants might tend to tell them, but what they don't realize is when you start scaling a team mm. on a you know I assume a lot of people are dealing with billable hours. Mm. It's it's very tough to get those billable hours up above about 1400 hours a year, depending mm. on the country and industry you're in. Yeah. Um, lawyers get work to the bone. And so I know someone running a law firm where the absolute minimum is 1500 hours a year. Yeah. Um, but some law firms expect close to 2000. Mm. If, okay. if you actually work that out, um, you know, just go and grab a spreadsheet and subtract some public holidays and all that kind of thing. Mm. Um, basically, that's 40 hours a week every week yeah. of productive output. Yeah. And so when I looked at the numbers of my team, I was lucky to get 1300 a year. Mm. Okay. And so if you're thinking, you know, as a freelancer or an individual, you might be charging $100 an hour and you might be making 150 200 depending on how much you're working in the year 
And you think, oh, that's pretty good. I could hire someone for 60, 70 grand to do what I'm doing and, and scale that way. Mm. Um, but when you add in the costs and you, you add in the overhead, you'll probably find, you know, that sixty, seventy thousand dollar a year employee is is costing you, you know, almost that much an hour. Yeah. Uh, and so if you're only charging a hundred, which a lot of people I know are doing, yeah. Um, you know, you've got thirty, forty dollars an hour to cover your entire operating expenses in your business. Yeah, yeah. And you you won't be able to do it. Yeah, yeah. So it's looking at the whole picture, not just the the basics. Yeah. And and this is this is why hourly rates are so misleading as well. For example, I had one contract once where I got about two hundred fifty thousand dollars over four months from one client, mm. and it was fantastic. Not the rate was actually really bad. Like mm. you know, I was just I don't know. I was too nice. It's probably a, a common <laughs> thing, but also. So I really wanted the work. That's that's another common reason to discount as well. Yeah. Uh, but the reason it was so nice is is it was one project, a team of four people sitting there every day at the client's site. Like it was, it was 35, 40 billable hours a week from mm. each team member. Really easily, low stress, and even though the rate wasn't great, that I more than made up for it in the efficiency. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's the other sort of thing that I've learned. It's, it's not just, yeah, I sort of obviously look at the numbers, but mm. people burn out, um, when they're context switching all the time. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and I, I've started doing it when, when I'm doing too many different things, my ability to focus on any one of them is just shot. Oh yeah, and people think they can multitask, but we really can't. <laughs> no, and, and I used to pride myself, like I'm in my late 30s now, but I, I distinctly remember I spent most of my 20s multitasking chronically. Yeah. And I used to, you know, brag that I was really good at it, mm. which, you know, and I, I established this brain pattern yeah. of, of multitasking. And, you know, this big shift came for me even six months ago where I realised that, all I needed to do to be successful was like, you know, the next level of success that I want um, mm. is do, do what I say I'm going, I plan to do that day. That's it. Yeah. I know what to do. Mm. <laughs> I know how to do it. It's I literally just have to do what I plan to do that day. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's it. And when, you know, and what I realized is, I, I was still fighting my old brain habits mm. of of that multitasking, you know, distraction. Yes. And and that just killed my ability to do what I planned to do that day. Well, we think and, we think we're gonna be busier, but it's not as productive, and then we end up burning ourselves out and not really finishing anything properly or in the time that we want to, right? And yeah, and I think as a service is and that's that's my background. It's always, you know, being of service in some capacity. I think I think we kind of get high on actually providing that service. Yeah. So when someone sends an email, can you help me with this? It's like, yes, yes, I can. Put on my yeah. superhero cape and in I go and save the day. <laughs> and that that's you know just as dopamine addicting as Facebook. I think. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. same kind of thing. True. And how did you start pulling yourself out of doing those things and also stop micromanaging like you were talking about before? Yeah, so I've, I have a slightly different view on management from some. And um, 
I, I go into this, I'll, I'll mention the URL for my book later, but um, the book is called How to Automate Your Way to Your Next Million. And so the reason I called it your next million, because it really doesn't matter whether you're starting from zero or, or point one or you're, or you're already doing a couple. Yeah. Um, a lot of these principles are the same. Mm. And one of them is I think a massive mistake that people make is to, so what I call hire well and forget. So, mm. or yeah. dele delegate and advocate mm. uh, is another way of looking at it. And the, the, the problem is like most advice when you look at it, it's simultaneously right and wrong and it entirely depends on the context and so the context where this type of just hire well and give them outcomes to solve mm. that context works really well in something like a silicon valley startup yeah where you are you are literally hiring some of the best people in the world mm. and you're growing so fast you've got a very high sort of economic gap as i call yeah. it between your costs and your potential uh, you can definitely do that. Like I think Valve, uh, the company, is, is famous for its management styles. They've got this great handbook about employee culture. It's worth reading. Okay. You know, they're obviously much bigger. But, yeah. Um, yeah, they're the type of company where, you know, you've got 2,000 job applicants for every job. Yeah. So your ability to pretty much guarantee that you are hiring an A player yeah. is, is pretty good. And I remember early on with Google, their approach was, uh, you know, they've been criticised somewhat since, but their approach was we will only hire someone who is smarter than the average of the people who we already employ. <laughs> and so they were very yeah. deliberately maintaining that A player bar. Yeah. And so Google originally was terrible with systems and processes. Mm. Uh, and But they kind of got away with it because the staff were so good. And so if you've had, you know, people who've ever worked with staff or VAs or um, any kind of service provider, it's it's this sort of, oh, why can't they just get it, you know? Yeah. I don't want to have to spell it out like McDonald's. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, the realisation was that I wasn't going to always have A players and that when I looked back in the past and sort of assessed who I'd worked with, you know, it worked when I had A players and it failed miserably when I had B players. Yeah. But because I wasn't one of these globally attractive companies that everybody wants to work for. Mm. And in fact, because we did software development as well, I was losing people to those companies. Mm. Um, they were actively poaching me at my staff because we were doing such a good job of training them. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, You're yeah, like, oh, like, I've done all the work. And now... <laughs> yeah, well, no, 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 no joke. We actually changed programming languages that we were using deliberately mm. to make it less attractive for other companies to poach our staff. Yeah, wow. Like that's, that's how often it was happening. And they'd yeah. tell us as much. The staff would tell us or the recruiters would tell us. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's <laughs> another story. Yeah. Um, but so it was, it was that mindset shift around, okay, how can I make this work with B players? And, and look, as a, as a manager, you're not going to go to someone and say, you're a B player. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, as fellow business owners and entrepreneurs, hopefully we can be, you know, pretty honest. We've all got B players and particularly when it comes to, you know, dealing with offshore people, you know, B, B might be generous as a rating. Mm. Um, so you really do need to change the way you think about systems and management without going into micromanagement. Yeah. So to me, it's it's not saying these are the outcomes that I want. Go away and figure out 
because what you're saying, if, if these are just the outcomes that I want, you say, you go away and figure out the process of getting them. And that only works with A players. Yeah. With, with B players, they're, they're quite competent at running a system that already exists. They're mm. not particularly competent at creating it. And they're especially not very competent at creating that system while simultaneously running it. So I see this all the time, you know, mid-sized companies make this mistake chronically where they've got a small department, they get a manager in who, a lot of my clients do this, um, where that manager is expected to be simultaneously a manager and mm -hmm. a doer. Yeah, okay. And if, if you look at, you know, your very large companies, they don't make that mistake. The manager is a manager and the mm -hmm. manager's job is to create systems and processes and manage people. And then you have a doer and maybe a senior doer whose job is kind of to, to maintain that excellence of execution. Yeah. But in a, in a small business, we can't afford that. Yes. You can't have a manager who is pure overhead. I've done it. I've tried it. It was a miserable mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, either financially or because they're not actually great at being a manager. Yeah. Um, so you, I, I, my argument is you as the business owner, your, your number one role in business is to create systems for other people to follow. Yeah. And so what you, and, and you can do it with external contractors, you know, you don't have to sh shoulder the burden yourself, mm. but you have to shoulder the responsibility of, of saying, okay, if I want to delegate something, and I want it to be done reliably in a way that means I get my time freedom back, then I need to create a system for that first. And then, so I need to do the intellectual heavy lifting yeah. of that system. Yeah. And then I can hand it to someone else to have responsibility for running it. Yeah. And part of that system is you build in, and this could be very lightweight. It could be like five bullet points on a piece of paper, like <laughs> depending mm. on the process. It, it doesn't have to be overblown. Yeah. But you build in the reporting mechanism as part of that. And the reporting that I'm especially fond of is exception reporting. So what you do is you define the expected outcomes yeah. of, of the system. So, for example, um, let's say it's a customer support process and you want all customer support inquiries to be responded to within four hours. You, you define that as your normal. Yeah. And then you set, up, you set up a process, especially an automated process, that yeah. tells you as the manager or the system creator when that doesn't happen. Yeah. And so what happens, and, and if you've got a couple of layers of staff, you set that up so that it goes to the manager responsible for it and they get and you get cc'd in as their manager mm. which then makes the manager know that they're being watched yeah um, but without without any of the kind of you know management by wandering around or yeah. having to jump in where's this up to the extreme task delegation um all of that kind of stuff yeah and then 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 what you do is so let's take this customer support example let's say you get an email or a slack notification or whatever <laughs> giant buzzer goes off in your office there's lots of cool <laughs> ways of doing it um that says okay this customer hasn't been responded to in five hours yeah it's like, okay the system is working at that point and you've got information that tells you where the system has broken down mm. and it, it's your job to then you know triage that essentially and say yeah. is this a systems failure 
Is it a process failure? Is it a human failure? Or is it just, you know, this is one of the things we're going to accept because it happens once a month and, you know, that's, that's, that's okay. Yeah. Um, that's, that's your job there. Yeah. And then when you, let's say that for whatever reason that alert doesn't fire or something like that and a customer complains, they ring up and say, oh, you didn't get back to me for 20 hours or whatever it was. Yeah. Then, then you go and look at your exception report and say, do I need to modify that system to, to be better at capturing these exceptions? Yeah, and, and if you're not on top of that, it can happen consistently and you can lose clients and money or not have team performing. So I, I love that way of, of working it out. Which, which, which is why if you, if you think of your primary hat as the business as one of systems, mm. then you're, you're, you're looking for this. If you think of your role as, you know, and I'm not saying sales and marketing and things like that aren't important, um, but even within those, as I'm sure you've talked about before, you want you want systems for those things as well. Um, but usually in a business trying to scale from sort of early six figures upwards, mm. usually the op operations is kind of ignored and, yeah. and left to the people involved. Mm. The problem with that is is when you hit seven figures and, you know, I've, I've seen businesses collapse at a few hundred thousand that can't cope because of operational problems. Yeah. And I've seen some get, get to five million that don't have a single procedure written down at all. Wow. Um, <laughs> but when something goes wrong, those businesses tend to collapse. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's so much easier to bake this in from day one. And yeah. so that's, that's actually what I'm doing with Automate Your Business. I've, mm. I've been doing this kind of work for a long time. Yeah. Uh, in, in various guises but like for example right now I'm, I'm doing a, a process for a client as I'm doing that I'm writing down the steps that I'm taking so yeah. the very next time that someone does it they will at least have like the blueprint of what to follow well it's, it's not much easier that way because we can look back on it and kind of be vague and forget all the minute details but as we're doing it it's just so much easier and you, and you can delegate the creation of a lot of these systems. Yes. What you can't delegate is kind of the thinking behind them. Yes. So an, an example of that is, so because I'm dealing with systems and automation for clients, I need to get access to their systems. Yeah. So the, the process to do that is, is pretty simple. Like I can describe it in a few bullet points. <laughs> Send yeah. the client an email, create a Google Sheet template, blah, blah, blah. You know, fill it in, log yeah. in, check that they work. Like that literally took me five minutes to document that process. Yeah. But if I don't have that, mm. then it's going to be like 10 emails back and forward with the client and CCs to me and where is this up to and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you mul you multiply that across the business hundreds of times a day, and you quickly find, as a manager, by the time you've got about seven people working for you, yeah, you are doing nothing but responding to those messages all day. Exactly. Yep, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so so in this delegation example, what I specified was this is the process I want to follow. You know, blah 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 blah. Yeah. And it was just real, real dot point. And this is the, the technical systems that I want. Like I want a Google sheet in this thing and, and that and that. And then I can hand that to someone else to actually build that system. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to build it myself. 
Yeah. Um, another another one that I often do is um, something like use Loom or any of the screen recording stuff. It's like yeah. just record yourself doing the task, but yeah. that could be really badly and, and non-systematized. Mm. And I, I think this is a key thing because people get scared of systems. Yeah. Uh, and they think, oh, I'm not a systems person. Yeah. It's like, yes, you, you need to be responsible for creating systems in your business, but you don't need to create them yourself. Yes. What you need to do is, is give whoever is creating them the, the stuff that's locked in your brain about mm. how to do it. How yeah. do we do it around here yeah. is, is what you need to document. Exactly. And it can, be, it can be, you know, five minute screen grabs. I say this all the time because particularly in services, we do work that's hours at a time or, um, you know, even if it's 45 minutes for a client, that task, mm. it's like it's most of the time it's less than five minutes extra work to yes. document the key parts about how you did it. Exactly, exactly. And if you're not doing it like that, then you've got to do so many systems and that's when it does feel overwhelming. So I've done exactly the same thing myself. I, I have um, my, my general manager who creates all the, you know, the screencasts and the, mm -hmm. the actual creation of it. We have that in a team training membership site. So anyone new that comes on board can just go in and watch those. We don't have to sit there for, for days or weeks training someone up. Yeah. That, yeah. that, oh, that's, that's a big one. Uh, mm. I sort of only started doing that a couple of years ago as well mm. because what I was finding is with these B players, I knew they were B players. They probably knew they were B players, but I couldn't afford to get rid of them because the time cost and the, the sort of disruption cost was too great. So when I, when I looked at that and part of my how do I make a business system or a business structure that works with B players in it, was mm. how can I replace these B players really quickly? Yeah. Because I'm going to get some wrong. Or even if you don't ever want to work with B players, you're, mm. you're going to hire some by accident. So <laughs> yeah. you've got to be able to, you know, hire slowly and fire quickly. Yeah. And having that onboarding, yeah, I love using a membership site as well. That's that's exactly the way to do it. And yeah. you, the, the it's not the direct time saving that's the big benefit it's being able to hire and fire at will yeah yeah definitely definitely because i've found anytime i'm in a place of desperation that i need someone um that's when you hire the wrong person or keeps the wrong person on for too long <laughs> yeah um so absolutely <laughs> So I guess um, we've got to wrap up now, but the last thing I wanted to ask you, I know obviously um, we've been talking a lot about automation and, and systems and things like that, but is there anything else apart from that that you've really noticed in going from, you know, zero to six figures, then to multi six figures and then up to seven figures and beyond? What are the differences at, at the different stages, I guess, from a mindset strategy perspective um, that you've seen to really grow to that next level? The, the hardest one, I think, is, is once you realise the investment you're making in, in terms of the opportunity cost of your time. Mm. So what I mean by that is when you start out, most, most people are going to be performing the services themselves because you've got, you've got to generate the revenue somehow. Yeah. Uh, and then when you switch to, for instance, creating systems, that's, mm -hmm. that's revenue that you're not creating. 
so the hardest the hardest part I found and and something I think I I did wrong in core mind that I'm trying to do right in automate your business is I shifted to being a general manager too early. Yeah. So that that also went hand in hand with um, abdicating responsibility uh, yeah. because I'm like, I'm the manager, I'm the CEO. If I want to be, a, and it wasn't an ego thing. It was, I knew, and I'm, I'm right, that if I want to have a two or $3 million business, I need to be the CEO. I can't mm-hmm. be the, you know, expert technician. Um, but in, in sort of shifting too early, i.e. before I had systematized the work that I was already doing, that's when I set myself up for failure by, by having, you know, this reliance on A players. And I mean, I had a sales staff member that ripped me off $200,000, just didn't do the work and said he did and all sorts of stuff like that. And the systems that I had for tracking it were too reliant on trust because they were based on the information that he was telling me rather than something else. Uh, and I was literally three weeks away from bankruptcy as a result of taking my eye off the ball of, of what was real now and focusing on, you know, too far in the future, I think. Yeah. So it's, it's a delicate trade-off, but I think at that multi six figure level, you need to be doing a bit of both. Yeah. And the cha- the big challenge is if you don't have any systems in place before that, you're not going to have enough time <laughs> to create them. You're just going to be too busy doing mm. the work and managing the work and trying to do marketing exactly. and sales. And, and that's why so many business owners are stuck in that mid six figure level. It's without like literally dropping hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue or taking their income away. Yeah. Um, it's, it's almost too late at that point. Yeah. 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 Some really good um, tips and lessons there. Um, I, and I think some really simple things that people can put in place along the way to make it easier from the start. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Um, no and, problems. Um, yeah, it's been great chatting to you. Is there, I, I want to know how people can find you online and, um, and yeah, anything else you want to want to share? Sure. Um, best place is probably my website, automateyourbusiness.com. Yeah. You can opt in for my ebook there. Uh, and I'm pretty easy to find on, I'm mainly active on Facebook. So just uh, search my name, David Kellum with a K, and you'll probably find me. Awesome. And we'll pop those links below as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, chatting with you. Well done on, on your success. And um, yeah, thank, thanks so much for jumping on today. Awesome. Thanks, Ellie. Speak soon.